The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yeah. With your hosts, James Seabrook. Okay, you were paying attention, but the idea is clear in my head, but translating it into English is not. That's brutal. I understand the hypocrisy. And Joey Roach. I don't even know what you do. I was just told you were the man. Some people would say I'm overconfident. That could be my ego talking, though. I'm trying to think of the right word. Oh. Yeah. Must be a tough word. Next subject. Uh, you're bored with this one? You don't hear us gassing on about it. Keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. By the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, you have a big mouth. Here's a good idea. What are you even talking about? Have a point. Why are you airing personal matters with complete strangers? It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. I I really want to know who the hell you're talking about now. <laughs> like, well, like really, really want to know who the hell I'll, you're talking I'll about. I'll tell you his name when the podcast is over. All right. I suppose that's fair. Um, so long as I remember. Because <laughs> uh, both of us are likely to forget anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, is the perfect, perfect way to, you know, change subject and not ever have to come back because, you know, we're both going to forget anyway. <laughs> uh, okay. So you were, you were about to tell me, and I had to interrupt you and hit record on the podcast because I want to hear the story. It sounds like it's going to be a juicy story. You were about to tell me about a client at the place you work yep. that was expecting to spend $3,000 a day on an engineer. Uh, I don't know if he was expecting to spend that. I just know that he has the notion in his head that that's what, that's what we charge people. And then I just went around and went, well, if I was charging that much. I wouldn't be working here. <laughs> and then it, it spurred into a, a conversation of like well then how much do you charge and it's like well it's a difficult question to answer but the typical going rate is and i was like 400 to 500 dollars a day depending on what studio you go to that's the going rate around where we live that's fair at least from what i've seen of all the the, the busy studios anyway. Yeah. The guys who can charge that much. Um, some people are obviously going to charge less than that. I don't know of anyone who's charging more than that. Um, Sound Extractor, last I heard a couple of years ago, they were charging $600 for an eight-hour day. And that was a couple of years ago, so I imagine they've gone up a little bit. Hmm. And I know, uh, I mean, that's awesome if they are. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like they've always been, they've always been, uh, 85 plus an hour studio anyway. Right. Um, okay. no, well, not, not always, but in, in the new location, um, I know Doug Oregon was charging, um, we're charging something like $800 for a 24 hour day. You know, like he had his, he had his day price, which was like an eight hour day. And then he had a, a second price that was like, if you want to be the, like, do the 24 hour in the studio thing, poof, there it is. I think I would, I wouldn't want to spend 24 hours in a studio. Mm. Not in one go anyway. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the, that's the, th I can see the logic behind it. If you have a team of people trying to achieve 
a lot in a short time, you know, like, um, like the, the, the classic example that we all talk about is, is the Metallica black album. Yeah. They, they had, it was Bob Rock didn't engineer that. But Bob Rock was in the studio. Yeah. He, he lived at the studio 24 hours a day for nine months and, and the band would come in some half the band would come in during the day. The other half would come in at night, Yep. but they had different engineers for each shift. Oh yeah. Right. And I I I think they were like, they were cycling through five engineers um, every week. Right. You would need a team to do a 24 hour thing. Yeah, exactly. And they still spent nine months in the studio. Who the fuck would fund that now? (laughs) Oh, good luck getting the funds for that. Right. Like I can only imagine how much that cost back then. Yeah, Jesus. But back then, a small budget was like $150,000. Yeah. Good luck getting like 10 budget. now. Yeah. Or at least if that's how it feels. It's like you try to well, tell somebody for, that a full length is going to be $10,000 and for, you're pulling at nails to get that money. But that's the thing is, is that level of expectation comes with that higher level of the average clients that you and I work with, their expectations don't at all meet their capabilities or their, or their work ethic. That's, that's the better way. Their expectations don't often meet their work ethic. A lot of them are talented as fuck, but they don't have the work ethic to go out there and, and, and make a $10,000 budget happen. I can see that being a, and and the very, the very few that, that, that do, they go out there and make it happen. Yeah. And not all of them are the more talented ones. Nope. Yeah. As it said, you don't necessarily have to be the most talented in the music business to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. But $3,000 a day, I'd let, that would, I'd, I'd be okay. Yeah. But that. He, yeah. He just mentioned $3,000 a day and I was my big mouth couldn't help but be like, yeah, no. Uh, but, um, no. <laughs> uh, older guy, I wish I guy? mean, oh, uh, yeah, he was an older guy. He's retired. Okay. Hmm. okay. But, but he comes in and, like, he buys stuff and he does a lot of things for around for schools and stuff, I think. Oh, cool. Uh, I don't know exactly what he does, but I just know he comes in and he will eat up a lot of your time if you let him. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I got stuck in that. And while I was getting stuck in that, I thought I would educate him on how much X actually make. It's it's we're not making three thousand dollars a day. <laughs> yeah, right. If we were making that, then we would only have to work a day a month, <laughs> if that. Like, oh, I wish. <laughs> I would. Wow. Yeah. You could afford a bigger space. I would work half months. I might like it or, or, or take on like two projects or less a month. Well, yeah. If and you then, could get and, away with charging that, like yeah, right? you could pick what you wanted to work on and not worry about being able to afford bills. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be worrying about the power bill anymore. Like I do every month. <laughs> <laughs> I left I left the console on overnight um Saturday night 
Sunday morning. First thing I did when I walked in Sunday morning is, fuck, left the console on. Shit. There goes another $10. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah. $10 to have it on all night? Uh, no, I, I was I was being dramatic, but um, but that's actually what I said. Like, shit, there's another $10. Uh, it costs, the console itself costs somewhere in the neighborhood of 85 to a hundred dollars a month to keep powered up. Okay. That's not arable. Nope. Not like the crazy SSL rumors that are right around there. Cost $2,000 a month just for the electricity, right? Which I... I... How much of a power hog is that board if it, like, I'm not going to say these people are lying or anything. It just, it sounds ridiculous that it would use that much power. Well, you remember, you remember um, reading, or no, no, it was a YouTube video. I was sure I showed it to you, but it was, it was Rupert Neve talking at some convention, um, like an AES thing, uh, when they released the, um, the Portico 2 channel strip. Right. And, and he was talking about how it was class A power, uh, class A power and it's, it's electricity usage was only in the 20% efficiency, um, rating or something like that. Like it was only 20% efficient on the power that it used. And he said, but when you're talking about audio, mm. who cares about efficiency? <laughs> when I'm running a business and I have to pay for that efficiency, I do. Yeah, but if you're if you're spending forty five hundred dollars on a um, on a channel strip, the two or three dollars a month that it costs to keep it powered isn't a big deal. It depends if I'm uh, like, it depends on what scenario you're in. If you're in a scenario where you're investing in this and you don't necessarily, can't necessarily afford it, but you're going to put yourself in debt in order to get this piece of gear because you feel that you, you require it for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. And then that two bucks can actually be a thing. That's certainly true. It certainly adds up, especially over time. Um, but I mean, that's, that's I the, that's I the think idea. maybe I, I listened to, uh, the working class audio podcast too much and it's <laughs> been making me think of like way too much into the business side of things and going right. like, maybe I should just get the things that make sense and not necessarily that are like really expensive yeah so i'm not going to buy my api console no matter how badly i want it <laughs> yeah i mean i wasn't going to buy it anyway because i'm not going to take out a mortgage to, buy, uh, a to buy a console unless you're making that kind of money on the regular yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, if, I was yeah. Made, if like a project if the royalties on a project i did allowed me to buy a console like that oh hell yeah oh yeah but yeah, I mean, I would have to mu have the money to buy something outright for that. But that's that's what I that, that's why I think the SSL 
cost so much electricity wise is because it wasn't built with electrical efficiency in mind. It was built with audio quality in mind. And so there's probably a lot of... So why can't you have audio quality with power efficiency at the same time? Back then it didn't matter. That console was from the 80s, right? Fair enough. And and back then there was so much money going around that $2,000 power bill, psh, that's not even a tenth of the studio bills. Fair right? enough. These days, it exactly. makes a huge difference. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm still, when I, when I heard that, I, I don't remember what guy that was, but... Do you remember what guy that was? Because we both heard that on the Working Class podcast, right? Um, oh, there's a number of people that are like that, but uh, I don't remember who the first one was. Yeah, I um, when I heard that, I was just I was just blown away that it was a big. He's guy, making enough money to afford twenty four thousand dollars a year for electricity to power his console. Like, I balked at. When I was looking at a at a um, at an eight track deck, and it was going to cost me four or five thousand dollars a year to keep it running, like there was just no way that was going to happen. Well, Let it doesn't alone. make sense yeah. in this day and age with like computers. How much does a computer cost uh, in electricity? Right, like hardly anything in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And it does the same job, if yeah. not better. Exactly. I had, I don't know who it was, had another one of those arguments um, why I don't use tape, which turned into why I don't like tape, um, which turned into why the computer is just overall better in so many ways. There's a, Laundry list of reasons why you don't use tape today. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. Like, do you want to pay $300 a spool? For then, 17 minutes of audio? Yeah, for 17 minutes, depending on what your IPS is at. Right. Because you get more out of 15 IPS than you do 30. But the quality changes too. But a lot of people want that, that oversaturated analog tape sound anyway so you could probably just slow it down to 7.5 right and lower and degrade the quality of the recording at the same time yeah but who cares it's analog it's got to be better than digital then <laughs> <laughs> they the, then you know you spend all this money recording at like 7.5 ips on a 300 tape in a Ten, fifteen thousand dollar tape machine, and then the client goes, "Why is it so hissy?" <laughs> yeah. Well, the DBX noise reduction modules aren't as efficient as they were, or as they would be at well, fifteen IPS. <laughs> that and it's like, well, if hiss was such a big concern of yours, why didn't you want to record into the DAW, where there would be none? With the exception yeah. of whatever the microphone's noise level is at. <laughs> and assuming your engineer's good enough to gain stage properly, you that won't be a problem ever. And if it ever is a, it becomes a problem, you slap an expander or gate and, oh, there's all the, the noise gone. Yeah. 
So many people. Instead of patching through device after device and adding more and more noise. Well, I mean, there is, in defense of all those people that, that are misguided into thinking that they want tape, the, the analog world does have a nice charm to it. Oh, I agree. That's why I have yeah. my controller. Like, there are aspects of the analog world that are just fantastic. Yeah. Tape is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> right like uh, the tape sound great but a $300 emulator and you get like four different types of tape with that through what would be a $10,000 machine or emulation of a $10,000 machine like it, is, it, it's yeah. It's a no-brainer. I'm spending the $300. It's like Andrew Sheps says, can you tell the difference? No. Okay, then we have no problem. <laughs> well, I argue all the time because I, I do a lot of those like guitar simulator tests and stuff, and I will blind test them. And uh, all I do is like, I say, okay, give me A and B. They're supposed to be the same amp or whatever, or same settings, everything else. So it's just listen to A and B. Which one do I prefer? That's how I do those tests. And then it gets revealed to me. And like I have found that like eight out of ten times I do pick the real amp. So that's enough. And I've done this enough times where I've, I've kind of averaged it out to eight yeah. out of ten times I pick the real amp. So it's like to me, I can actually hear the difference. What are the controls in that situation? Like what's the... Not the controls on the devices, but what's the what's the um, the parameters? Uh, it's different depending on the sims that are going on. But sometimes it's like this is a Mesa simulation thing. We're gonna put it through the same cabinet. It's going to be the same player, so the same performance. And then here is the amp, and we're gonna try and match the tones down as close mm. to each other as possible. So, you know, that's usually how it is. So it is as close to scientific as you can be. Okay, and then, it, I mean, then I'm only ever going like, okay, I prefer this one over that one. And these are like the online things. Well, it's like usually, right? Yeah, usually online. Yeah. Somebody's made a comparison video like Kempler versus uh, Mesa head and like, right. I'll usually pick the head over whatever's mimicking it but at the same time i then go out of it and be like yeah i i obviously can hear the difference at the same time some of those differences are so small and i don't care then in a mix they wouldn't matter yeah i had a client um i'm sure i told this story on the podcast already but i'm going to tell it anyway at a client uh, May of 2015, do a recording. Um, and for some reason we, we did like a, like an old, like a cheesy power ballad type of mm -hmm. thing. And for some reason I let him get away with horrible, horrible, horrible guitar tones. I don't know if I just let him pick the tones or, or if I was having a bad day or if I was having a crazy day 
and thought it sounded good at the day. <laughs> I don't know. But I was super thankful to find out when I got to mix time that um, I had I'd taken DI tracks. Because I don't always do that. If I feel really good, really confident about the guitar tone we're getting, I might not bother with a DI track. Anyway, I reamped those with just the built-in amp software in the in the DAW, and he loved the tone that we got. Didn't know that I'd swapped it on him. Loved the tone that we got, and for my money, I mean, it sounded like it, it sounded like big dirty distortion guitars, you know, <laughs> like. Sounded like crunchiness in the chorus and not as crunchy everywhere else. Made me happy. Worked fine in the mix. He's happy with them. Yep. Math came back from mastering and they blended in great with the record. No problem. Yeah. As I tell people when I do the in years and I'll talk on forums and stuff, I don't do that much anymore. But if I do. A lot of times people will be all, oh, I prefer this over that, da, 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 da. And it's usually, oh, I prefer the real thing over the sim. It's such night and day. It's like, no, it's not. Never night and day. Not yeah. night and day. It's so close. And while I can hear it, I know exactly what I'm listening for to know what the real amp sounds like compared to the sim. Because I've, I've noticed certain qualities of a real amp versus a simulated amp so i've kind of learned what what to listen to and i do you find it different most with... of the time the amp is going to just not have the things that i'm going to be getting rid of out of the actual real head anyway or the mix so the amp doesn't have the things you would get rid of but the sim does no like i would Regardless of if it was a sim or a real head, I'd probably put a low-pass filter. Right. Yeah. But without that low-pass filter, there is a lot more high-end on an amp head than there is on the simulated head. Oh, really? Yes. I would not have expected that. I've I guess I've it noticed would depend that. on miking technique, right? But It could, but that is something that I've noticed pretty consistently about real heads versus simulated heads. Hmm. So it makes me suspect that it has something to do with some of the parts in the head. Maybe hmm. I could be completely speculating, but it is very consistent thing that I've noticed. But same time, I'm usually getting rid of that thing. Fair enough. So at the end of the day, it doesn't make a difference. No. Yeah. I, um, this summer, two different sessions with the same guitar player. Um, I both, both sessions, I wouldn't let him use the guitar pedal he wanted to use because it just made the mid range sound synthesized. Hmm. It was a Digitech pedal. I'm not a big fan of Digitech stuff. I'm sure there's something out there that I might like, but to this day, I'm, I haven't heard anything that I'm, excuse me, enamored with. But it just sounded, it just had this like synthesized quality to the mid-range. 
I might have been able to chop it up. I might have been able to carve something out of it, but I just wouldn't let him use it. I think I, what did I do? I pulled out a DS1. I pulled out, I pulled out my 1986 DS1 by Boss. <laughs> and I stuck that in the chain. And he was like, what is this? This sounds amazing. It's a distortion pedal. Pretty generic one. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm glad I have it, though. <laughs> yeah. It's like throwing a tube screamer on some, essentially. He had a tube screamer. He didn't want to use it. What? Although well, the tube screener is more of a more of a drive pedal than a distortion pedal, but I, I don't even use it as a drive. No, no. A lot mm. of times when I use a tube screener, it's like crank the tone, keep the drive pretty low, yeah, and adjust the volume where needed. Yeah. But yeah, like it's like not even really pushing distortion into the amp; it's just driving more note definition. Really, right. that's yeah. all it's doing. With that setting. Hmm. Um, I just got a another drive pedal. Um, the Blackstar LT drive, which I assume stands for light drive, but I don't know. It's LT drive. And it sounds really crunchy, way crunchier than I would expect for a, for a drive pedal, for an overdrive pedal. Hmm. And then I compared it to also just got the Bogner Burnley, the one with the Rupert Neve transformer in it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, love the distortion; like it's super, super like balanced distortion. Um, but that it, it was clear to me that that was distortion, and the other one was a drive. But like, just didn't ha- even cranked didn't have the same kind of like growl to it yeah all those yeah. pedals are interesting it, it's just <clears throat> it's just nice to have flavors yeah you know like i need to invest in more pedals mm. I, I need to play with my delay pedal more too i want a really nice de- delay pedal that's that's one thing that i feel is is missing from my collection one of oh. three things that i feel is missing from my collection. mine which I love it just because of all the options it gives me. That's that um, that thing. Pigtronics. Pigtronics. Echolution. Yeah. And I got the not digital one. Everybody hates the digital one. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, one, it's ugly. That's true. It is very Mm. ugly. uh, Just looking at it, the interface doesn't look very intuitive. Whereas like mine, it's like, here's all these switches with all your different weird additional delays that you place on top of your initial delay. Right. If you wanted to. And then like you got your knob for modulation. All like everything's right there. You could see it. It's I don't know. Then you got your three buttons for the different things that Mm -hmm. you wanted. So you got like your tap, 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 bypass, and then modulation. Yeah, I really want a chorus tremolo pedal combo because I never want both at the same time. I don't think anyway. Uh, my delight pedal, I think, has a built-in chorus. Hmm. 
I have a boss multi effects that has a built in chorus, and I have a MXR oh, like one knob, one knob chorus thing. My GT Pro has like every boss. You have a GT Pro? To it. Yeah. Do you still use it? Uh, not much. Don't, don't sell it. <laughs> I'm not going to. Okay. <laughs> I was I was about to say you should sell it to me, but then I realized no, no, don't do that. No one wants to buy it. Like I'm not stupid. The thing became obsolete because the pod was cheaper and more user friendly. I guess. Sure. I don't know. I, I mean, I had no problem using. I have no problem using my GT right. Pro. Well, it, and I got it for a steal of a deal. Like I think I got it for three to six hundred. I don't remember what I paid. Mm. I just know that it was worth like a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars when they came out. Oh, wow, something like that. That's crazy. And then I don't know. Mother's Music had it, and I just was like, oh, I don't like the pods. I like the sound like, of this. Well, I didn't necessarily like the sound of it, but I felt like it did a better job. Oh yeah. And it had all the boss pedals built into it. Well, it's it's just their it's just their digital technology stuff anyway, right? Yeah. Which half their pedals are di- are the digital Cosm. I also now liked the fact that they didn't they didn't uh, go around the fact that they were emulating something by naming it something else. Mm. They just like here's your fifty one fifty amp sim. <laughs> Here's your Mesa Boogie amp sim. Here's your AC30 amp sim. Here's your Tweed amp sim. Like, they just straight up told you, this is what this amp is. Nice. Or what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And, you know, it it got the point across. Cool. Um, Did you ever run it into... uh, You must have run it into your um, amp and cabinet to see how that sounded? I ran it through a PA... Okay. Because it had built-in cabinet simulator. Yeah. So I'd run it direct out into a PA. Any good? It it did the trick. I, I, I felt happy with it. Right. The band I was in at the time was happy with it. <laughs> was that the band? Mind you. No, no. No, this was after. This was like pretty much when I moved back to Edmonton. I was still... Is this the guys that you met in the food court at Southgate? No. No, no the, this is some guys that I jammed with for probably close to a year. Oh. And then when I started going to school, it became clearer to both me and the band that I had no interest in being in a band. So it was still like those years where it was like, yeah. I'm recovering from the fact that I lost three grand in equipment. Because somebody decided to shove my guitar through my head. That story still makes me sad. Yeah. And that's how they fired me. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I was recovering from that and still on the crisps of like, what do I want to do? I clearly want to be in the music business, but do I really want to go back into that world or... I want to venture in the the world that I've always been a part of, but never like went into the deep end of. I was always in the shallow end of recording. 
I could record, but it was always like I was doing demos and it was never good quality. Yeah. And then, you know, got into the school that I got into and just, it was like, as soon as I started, it was pretty much, yep, this is what I'm doing. And then I just became a super nerd in audio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm thankful for it. Yeah. Well, it, it's, became clear to me working at L&M that, you know, I clearly am a super nerd when it comes to like the recording thing. Cause there are people who have, there's people in the city that work in the industry. They know their stuff and they'll talk to me and like, I can talk to them at a very detailed technical perspective, oh, yeah. but then they'll ask me something that I actually do know the answer. And I know that like off the top of my head, and it's like something new to them. Oh, nice. Which, you know, that's an ego boost, which according to my girlfriend, I don't need anymore, but. <laughs> uh, I'm still surprised they haven't, um, they haven't put you into um, recording. Well, like, I was hired for recording. Pro audio, yeah. I, I was hired for pro audio and I do do sales in pro audio still. But you're mostly rentals, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I went into rentals to train in rentals. That's initially. Right. I was only supposed to spend like a couple of days or so. But, but you've been in there for like six, eight months now, right? Uh, I've been there for a year. Has it been a year already? I've been at Long McQuaid for almost a year now. Like your one year anniversary is like right around the corner here, right? Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I was initially there to train for rentals and I just didn't leave and it became apparent that, you know, I am not necessarily better suited, but that rentals does need the third person in it. Right. And thus they just keep me there. That's fair. I'm always, or the last few times I've been into your store, I've been largely disappointed with the pro audio side of things. Why is that? Don't know. Perhaps my expectations have changed. I think down, like, this is a perspective I've had before I started working for L&M, but in my opinion, I always went to the downtown store if I needed pro audio stuff because they had a better selection of things that I'd be interested in. That's fair. And I think that's because a lot of the studios all are relatively close to the downtown one, so they all go there. Mm, yeah. So they okay. get a lot of that stuff. Whereas we get a lot of the the just starting to the guys who have maybe recorded for a bit, but it's still like a hobby. Like we get a lot of the hobby recordists, thus you know, our stock is going to be more geared towards them. That might be. Um, grand scheme of things, though, largely disappointed with the state of pro audio sales availability in um, in Edmonton. Well, a lot of that is the fact that people need to buy stuff in order for us to justify getting things in. Yeah. Thus, you know, we're not going to have... $3,000 pieces of equipment because how many people in the city are going to buy those? 
Yeah. There's like yeah. maybe 20 guys in the city that are going to be spending that kind of money on stuff. And usually they're okay with the two week wait to get that piece of gear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't imagine the wait is, you know, going to take you a long time to save up the money anyway and, and make sure it's, well, if you're like me, if anybody else is like me, which I imagine everyone's like me, right? No. Uh, yeah, I some guys some... know exactly what they want and they just come in and say, I want this. And then we just order it in. So they're not like me at all. Well, some are. <laughs> some people do come in like two times a week and will ask a ton of questions before they buy anything. Hmm. I was one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I'm sure White Ave to some extent disliked me. <laughs> like I don't imagine entirely because when I did buy stuff it was like two three grand at a time right where I would buy stuff but at the same time it, it would be like weeks and weeks and weeks of me piecing together what my next investment in Long McQuaid is while I'm yeah. paying off my annual in, yeah Actually, in the past five years, apparently I've spent $14,000 at Long McQuaid. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, I, like, obviously I'm a, a good customer. I just, most of the time I go in, I don't buy anything. I'm researching. Yeah. I'm picking people's brains to try and figure out what I want to do. That's awesome. Do it's still... also part of the reason why I'm like a super nerd and know as much as I do. Because you're constantly picking people's brains. Yeah. Yeah. You, you still do that now that you work there? Yeah, I still pick people's brains. Like, I pretty much, I constantly try to surround myself with people who are smarter than me. All the time. I've always, like, more or less always done that. Ever since the quote I heard of, like, um... Something about like if you have to, if you want to be successful, surround yourself with people more talented, more smart, like more or more intelligent rather. And, you know, maybe people who are also successful. Right. And then just by being around them, you'll, you'll subconsciously gather things from them. That'll help you in developing that success. That makes sense. Yeah. I think Madonna has even said like, um, some along the lines of like, he, everybody loves her shows, but she always credits her staff and says, I surround myself with people who are far more talented than myself. I think I remember hearing her say... Come along those lines. Yeah, I think I remember hearing her say something like she feels like she needs to be the least talented person on stage or the least talented person in the studio in order for it to be right. Yeah. There's, even uh, I think it's Eddie Kramer has made lines like that too mm -hmm. where he says, uh, in terms of like what bands he picks to work with these days or something like that, it's like... I better be the least talented person there because then I can fuck up and it still sounds fantastic. Right. 
<laughs> shit in, shit out, right? Well, he's talking more in the lines along the lines of like you have great musicians, um, and whatever other talent you have there yeah. while you're recording, and then him as the technical guy, like if he does put a microphone in the wrong spot, it doesn't matter because the great musicianship's going to be there, so it's going to sound fantastic regardless of where he put that microphone. Yeah, maybe it would have sound better somewhere else, but. It still sounds good because the performance is fantastic. Yeah. 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 I hear that. Um, I did a, I did a mastering gig yesterday. Although by the time this comes out, it'd be weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I did this, did this mastering thing for a, uh, for a local band that did I already tell you this story? A little, I told you a little bit of the story. I'll tell it anyway, because that's me. Um, I they had recorded at one of the local audio schools, mm-hmm. um, pro audio schools, and paid very little money and knew they were getting a less than stellar product, but they also you know, wanted to give, um, this new engineer the experience and, you know, they didn't know if they wanted to spend a lot of money on something better anyway. So it, it seemed to work for them. And I spent, sorry. I, I was just going to say that's a fair thing to do. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they're not, they're not young guys either. They're, they're, I would guess they're all, you know, early to mid, maybe even late thirties. Um, anyway, so I get, I get the songs, nine songs. They are in pretty rough shape. Um, sample rate is different in half the songs. The bit rate is different in half the songs or the bit depth, bit rate. The bit depth is different in half the songs the mix sounds like seven different people mixed the nine songs. <laughs> hmm. A couple of the songs ended up sounding really good. Um, but I had, I had two students sitting here watching me, watching me master. And we'd stop when I needed a break, we'd stop and we'd, and we'd talk about things and have them ask, ask questions um, so that I could, you know, my ears could get a little bit of a rest. And one of them asked, I'd made some comment along the way that that uh, we were referencing a Bruce Springsteen song uh, as kind of the reference for the whole album. And, and one of them had asked about a comment that I'd made that we can't expect these masters to sound like this Bruce Springsteen song. We're just using it as a, as a, as a, as a, as a kind of a, uh, an ideal, like this is what we like to sound like, but close is close enough. Right. Yeah. And, and so she, she asked, well, like, what did you, what did you mean by that? Should we not be able to make this sound like that? And it, it opened up a a perfect teaching moment where I, I just, I really dove in to, you know, what the mastering engineer for that, Bruce Springsteen song 
had to work with was a great mix. That was really well recorded. That was really well recorded in a place that probably sounds really good um, on instruments that were probably pretty good um, played by musicians who are really good at their instrument and have been playing together for 40 years, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So they're in the pocket with each other <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and arranged by people who have a lot of experience arranging songs for the studio. <laughs> and then I asked her what was wrong with, with these songs. Cause none of them were bad songs. They all sounded, they all sounded pretty good. The arrangements were some spots a little goofy and some spots they seemed to work really well. Um, some of them were really, really simple. Some of them were really, really layered. And so I asked her like, what's wrong with these songs? And well, I guess the, the drummer doesn't sound like he's as on time and the, that acoustic guitar player always sounds like he's speeding up and slowing down. And I'm like, okay, so here's two reasons why we're not going to sound like Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and then she says, and the singer is, well, he doesn't always hit the right note. I'm like, okay, now we got three. <laughs> and, and sometimes like you pointed out, James, that that acoustic guitar seems to come out of nowhere and it's too loud. And I'm like, okay, so now we're up to four. <laughs> so like just the, the 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 reasons are just gonna add up and add up. You know, and if we had the same the same everything that the mastering engineer on the Bruce Springsteen song had before it got to mastering, then absolutely, you know, we could we could get that song to sound as good as the Bruce Springsteen song. But very little of that had to do with mastering. Yeah. 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 That's the thing I dislike about people who, uh, hasn't happened recently, but in the past, people would seem like all I was getting were mastering gigs. Mm. And people have this idea that everything can be fixed in mastering. <laughs> Forget the mix in mastering. And right? I remember one client even getting mad at me because I didn't know that this was what he was doing, but he would come to me like every month or something and he'd give me like two songs and he'd pay for those two songs. So I thought he was just releasing two songs at a time type of thing. Yeah. Until I've like nine or eight or something songs deep and stuck in like several months. And then all of a sudden he releases a record with all these masters. And I mean, I did my best to give him pretty consistent masters and stuff like that. But then it was my fault when that record came out that people who were listening to it didn't like it. <laughs> they were saying like, why are the songs all different volumes and yeah why why you know why does this one sound a little more little thicker and this one sounds a little thinner and this one sounds a little brighter and and because and, i'm the only guy who isn't the musician who's worked on <laughs> these songs it fault. is my fault yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Although, if he would have gave me all the songs in one go, I would have probably worked out an arrangement where he could have paid me in installments or whatever. Or even he could have saved up all that money that he paid you, um, you know, two here, two there, two there. Yeah. Uh, and, and just just all at the end, coming out all at the end anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know. We could have worked out could've a thing where... Yeah. Like he could have paid me a little bit at a time if he had to do work it out that way. Um, doesn't really matter. Like if he would have told me like he was doing a record, then I would have told him, give me all the songs. Yes. And then I'll master those. <laughs> I had, I did a record over a year and a half like that. Um, had a band come to me and they were a great band. They, everything about them was really good, funky, groovy tight together but played mostly live which was just awesome and uh they came to me and says we want to do two songs i'm like great well let's do two songs so we do two songs they turn out fine they go to get mastered and awesome okay two three months later they come back and say we want to do another two songs so we do another two songs different style you know, slightly enough, you know, they were less bluesy, more funky. And, um, all right, two songs that go to mastering. Great. Make, they come out on iTunes and then, and then they come back a couple months later. Let's do another two songs. I'm like, this is, this is awesome. I love seeing you guys back here. This is, this is so much fun. You know, great musicians. I love working with great musicians, good songs. And these songs, they're, they're kind of like, they're kind of like eighties, a little bit of 80s prog mixed in, but still kind of, you know. And and so I did a different thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I find out, they come back for a fourth session, so songs seven and eight. I find out, yeah, we're just, we're just recording two songs at a time to record our album. I'm like, what? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I've been changing so many things from song to song to song or from session to session, every two songs. I don't, I really don't like, we're going to have to do some revisions. You guys okay with revisions? Like, Oh, like we, we're, we really were hoping we didn't, wouldn't have to. <laughs> like, ah, well, but, you uh, understand that you're mastering for a single product at a time, right? Like, <laughs> well, and, and I didn't do the, I didn't do the mastering. Uh, Stu Kirkwood over at Sound Extractor did the mastering. Okay. Um, and so what we, what we decided to do is once all the songs were done, we did the last four songs without them being mastered, just did the, did mixes, but I had it in mind that, okay, you know, the last four songs, I'm going to try to make them sound like, I don't know, which batch of the first eight <laughs> or you know, which batch of the first six. And anyway, um, what we ended up doing is, is Stu the funniest thing I've seen yet. Stu set up a microphone. He, he gets all the songs. He sets up a microphone, plugs himself into Pro Tools or whatever he was using, and records a commentary track as he's listening through the songs. And they send me the commentary track. And so I actually had to write things down as he was talking, listen through to this 45 minute commentary track with the songs playing in the background. 
<laughs> like, good God. Why couldn't Stu just write down his notes? Because that would have taken more time, I guess. I don't know. Why couldn't they write down the notes while Stu was talking? Well, they weren't there. They oh. just they just sent him the songs and and he sent them, or maybe he sent them directly to me. Maybe he sent the notes directly to me. Yeah. But I that was that was a situation that I'd I'd never faced before. So I'd I definitely did a I I did all the revisions for free and then realized, holy crap, this is like four days worth of revisions. This fucking sucks. Yeah. That was very near the end of my sounds like yeah. Some projects early on in my career where I didn't have my revisions limit. Yeah. Yeah, right? You, you kind of learn quickly that, oh, I don't limit the band on what they're allowed to do. They're going to just continue to come up with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, no, you go. I was just going to say, that makes me think of like one of the first records I did. Um, we did seven mixes before the artist was happy. Like seven brand new fresh mixes? Yeah. Not just seven revisions, but fresh brand new mixes. Yeah, I I couldn't even tell you how many revisions were done for each mixes. One. Holy crap, what the... Dude. And I didn't get paid. You just did so, it for free. That was a project that you know, I, I just, I, I had to be a part of it. So gotcha. Okay. I mean, it's not that I mind doing those seven mixes, but it, by the end of the seventh mix, it was definitely getting to that point where it's like, uh, <laughs> we need to, we're eight months. We in. <laughs> need to release this now because I'm losing my mind. And yeah. to this day, I don't listen to it. And when I, the occasional time I do have to listen to it, it's always like, I can, he I know the parts are there, but it's like, I listen back to it. It's like, oh fuck. I fucking spent five hours on that thing. And it's so low in the mix. I don't <laughs> think anyone gives a shit. That's awesome. That's awesome. What, uh, what project was that? Uh, Onan. Oh, that was the first one yeah. you did with him? Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I should talk to that guy again, see if he has anything. Cause I'd love to do something again. With him. Nice. Fluid for free, too. I remember the first project I ever did where I went and sought them out to record. That was, um, was a singer-songwriter at the time. I had, I had a little, uh, a little, um, Mackie console and an eight-channel, um, M-Audio uh, PCI card device. Mm -hmm. Um, this would have been 2001, I think. I worked with this girl that was an amazing, she had this amazing voice that just really, really captured me. Um, and I, I liked some of her songs and some of her songs I didn't mind, but there were none, none of the songs that were even close to, I'm not a fan of that song. It was all just like, I either like it or, it, you know, I kind of like it. Mm -hmm. And I, so I, I, I just really wanted to record her and she didn't have any money. She lived in a 
She lived in an apartment that was literally this size, but not as tall. And I don't mean the size of the studio. I mean the size of the one room we're in right now. That was her apartment. Kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, front entrance. <laughs> yeah. I've lived in places like that. Right? The only way I would ever go back is if it was like a killer deal. Yeah, and she wasn't paying much. Like she might have been paying two fifty, three hundred a month. Uh, for me to live in a place this small, it'd have to be like two hundred max. Really? Yeah, mm. two hundred max to live in a space this small. Mostly because of how much shit I have, and so <laughs> it just—I know how crowded yeah. it'll be. I would. Dude, I would purge so much. Um, not that I have much left to purge, but yeah, yeah. But it's all my recording stuff, so it's. Well, if if you lived in something, if you lived in something this small, like you, you'd probably have to have a second space. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If I had like a studio, then I could live in a smaller place. That's not a problem, but. I don't currently have a studio, thus <laughs> yeah. I do want a bigger space because then it allows me to have my pseudo space of, that I call a studio. Like my living room right now <laughs> yeah, is studio, a studio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, anyways, we, we, did her, we did her record in her, in her apartment, recorded vocals in her bedroom, acoustic guitars in her kitchen and like harmony vocals. We, we would just random wherever she felt like it, you know, we'd randomly move her around. Mm. Um, and then I took, and I took the whole thing back to, uh, back to my apartment. And I, I had a little, I had a little mix set up in my bedroom in the apartment I was renting. And I, I played bass. I added bass to it. And, uh, and I think that was it. I might've, I don't think I've sang on any of it at all. Um, but yeah, it, it, it worked out. It worked out great. Yeah. Uh, um, even, even one of the songs, one of the songs that she wasn't planning on recording, but because she wasn't, she wasn't, uh, paying for it. She, um, uh, she allowed me to convince her to record it anyway, ended up being the first single that she took to like CJSR and CKUA. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, she played a few open stages and these two guys from, from uh, like Montreal or something um, saw her at an open stage as they were on a tour of their own, asked her if she'd do um, the rest of her, of their Canadian tour and then go down to Australia to do their Australia tour. And she just disappeared. No one heard from her for like eight months. She was busy working. Busy out on the road. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, that's I awesome. Think, I think I still have... She decided to pay me by... There it is. She decided to pay me by giving me a box of 50 CDs. Pretty sure I still have like 40 of them. <laughs> <laughs> you got 40 to sell to get your money back. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um awesome episode we didn't even get to geek out but that's it follow we'll see our you. hosts on twitter at
at Two Bodies of Water. You got that mic in a comfortable spot yet? I'm still working on it. At Joey R. Engineer. I can't even talk. I don't remember what my point was. This is a boring podcast. Um, I realize at the end of this, we didn't introduce ourselves. On to the internet you go. Go switch off.